11FS, this is InsureTech Insider News. Today we bring you Ford teams up with BioMiles, while Prince Charles teams up with the UK's largest insurers, and an ice cream company offers cookie coverage. All this and more on today's show. Hello and welcome to InsureTech Insider News, episode 95. I'm Sarah Kachansky. Uh, today's show is, as I've said, a new show where we'll be talking about the most interesting happenings in insurance and insuretech from the past few weeks. As always, I am not alone. Uh, today I am joined by Nigel Walsh. How are you doing today, Nigel? I'm very well, thank you. I'm not sure if I'm more excited by getting to episode 100 or the cookie coverage. I think the cookie coverage. <laughs> yes, it's it's uh, it's one of the more light-hearted stories we've had of late, so um, I look forward to that. We're also joined by some amazing guests. So first up, we have making a welcome return, Sophie Winwood, investor at Anthemis. How are you doing today, Sophie? Yeah, I'm doing good. I just really, I don't know, if for some reason really want some ice cream. Don't know why. <laughs> no idea. No subliminal messaging around here at all. Can you just quickly recap for our listeners what Anthemis is and what you do there? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Anthemis is the leading fintech and insurtech investor uh, globally. We have a portfolio of over 130 companies across kind of North America and, and UK Europe. And I am uh, an investor and I focus on insurance, insurtech solutions and a bit of a insurtech nerd. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, regular listeners will know you well. Up next and making his InsureTech Insider debut, we have Chris Kenning, CEO of Stubborn Edge. How are you doing today, Chris? Yeah, very well, thanks, sir. Thanks very much for having me. Not at all. Um, as it's your first time, can you please give us a quick overview of Stubborn Edge, what it is and what it does? Yeah, so um, we built Stubborn Edge to be the place where insurance distributors could come to start, run and grow their business. And by that, we end up providing the technology um, products and also customers for um, either brokers or affinity partners to um, basically launch their business and, and then grow it at scale. Amazing. Well, thank you very much for coming along. And last, but by no means least, we have Danish Youssef, CEO and founder of Zensurance. How are you today, Danish? Good. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Today is probably the first day I'm going to get a haircut in 14 months as my home city is coming out of lockdown. Would you like to tell our listeners where your home city is? In Toronto, Canada. So um, not only can they get haircuts, but they're also in the middle of a fantastic heat wave. So <laughs> Danish, is, Danish is, is living the dream over there. Can you give us a quick overview of what Zensurance is, please? Sure. We're a small business focused insurance platform in Canada, licensed as a brokerage. And Canada is far, far behind most developed countries when it comes to digitization and insurance. So when we started a few years ago, we were an absolute traditional brokerage, everything on paper. And we reverse engineered every insurance company's question set and pricing, built that into our system, used that to leverage and negotiate binding authorities. And now we act as an MGA and a brokerage uh, focused still on small business. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for making the time to join us as well. Thank you to all my guests, in fact, for joining me. So let's get on with the show. So the first story today uh, is that Ford has teamed up with Buy Miles. 
So the car manufacturer has announced that BuyMiles will be the first insurance provider in the UK to get access to connected car data from newer Ford vehicles. This will give Ford owners who cut their daily commute or are commuting less since the pandemic the opportunity to make use of data directly from their vehicles to power a pay-per-drive approach with the potential to make savings on their car insurance. The product will be available later this year and Ford drivers that own models with Ford Pass Connect, the vehicle's embedded modem, won't need any additional devices, hardware or software added to their car to start paying by the mile. Customers can sign up for Buy Miles Online and the policy is activated by accepting a prompt on the in-vehicle screen to share their distance data. We heard from Oliver Baxter, Head of Brand Communications and Product at Buy Miles, to find out more. Hi, I'm Oliver, Head of Brand and Product at Buy Miles. We're the UK's leading provider of pay-by-mile car insurance. Last week, Ford announced that Buy Miles will be the first insurance provider in the UK to get access to connected car data from their vehicles. In the last year or so, the way we travel has undergone a huge shift that could well have a long-lasting impact. Together with Ford, we want to continue to champion the changing needs of drivers who continue to work from home. Whatever the new normal looks like, it's clear that drivers' needs are changing very quickly, and people want fairer, more flexible cover that reflects that. We're delighted that our pay-by-mile collaboration with Ford will offer drivers a seamless, connected alternative to traditional car insurance. It's vital that insurance adapts to recognise the cover these smarter, better connected and often greener and safer vehicles deserve. For fully electric connected vehicles, our electric-friendly insurance policies already offer fully comprehensive coverage, including for items not often included on insurance policies as standard, such as damage or theft of charging cables and accessories, as well as electric car batteries, whether they're leased or owned. Having launched the world's first connected car insurance policy back in 2019, which supported Tesla's first, this is one of many manufacturer partnerships we'll be announcing in the coming months, and we'll be sure to keep 11FS in the loop. Great. Thank you very much, Oliver. So does anybody have initial initial thoughts on this? I mean, my, my initial thought is that this is a really, really big deal for, for Buy Miles, certainly, um, adding to their their partners here. It's, it, it works out well for them, I think, potentially also for Ford owners, although I don't know any more details of, of how this will work just as yet. Sophie, you were nodding along there. What's your initial response to this announcement and uh, and what it means for the companies involved? Yeah, I think it's a really exciting time for this whole kind of like embedded insurance frictionless insurance experience and having you know being able to buy a policy within the car and I think that we'll see a lot more of that as these connected cars become more widely available and the data from those cars becomes more accessible I think there might be a a customer education point that needs to be addressed at, at some point it feels a little bit analogous to open banking where initially customers were asked to share their data and they weren't quite sure what that meant and and kind of how that would be used. And also kind of around this by mile approach, whether that is the right route for them, because it does only really make sense from my understanding for uh, drivers that are, you know, lower mileage drivers. So I would be really interested to see once it's launched, the uptake and and how that works from a consumer perspective, but I think it's um I think it's cool. It's, it would be really interesting to see as well. I think that um they're saying could potentially make you uh, savings on your insurance. I wonder if for any you know is, is there any possibility it might make your insurance more expensive? For example, exactly to your point, does it become more expensive to pay by mile than it does to have the annual policy you already have? And how do you compare the two? Danish, what are, what are your thoughts on this one? 
I think it's a natural evolution of, of the whole telematics push. The first generation was separate hardware, second generation smartphone, third generation it's built into the car. And, and this particular version is pay by the mile. Um, presumably they're only tracking or they're only talking about tracking the number of miles or kilometers driven, but I'm sure they can track acceleration, deceleration, pace of driving. And, and the way I think about it is uh, Ford also partnered with Metromile in the US maybe last year, and it, and it makes sense for them. And I think about if there's a handful of insurers that partner with the large auto manufacturers and they get a lot of this business, what happens to the long tail of insurers that no longer are, uh, are, are in the market and can insure this. So I think it's, it's something that the insurers have to think about how do they want to play in the future if this in fact is uh, a model of the future. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, Chris, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that this model will continue to spread? I mean, there are other options, other you know, applications for pay per usage, obviously insurance, the auto insurance is one of the first ones we've seen, but there are definitely other applications as I said to it. Is it is it a model that you think will continue to grow or do you think it's sort of pandemic specific? I think it's really interesting. One of the things that we've seen during lockdown is an explosion in people embedding insurance and us as a business have seen that sort of take off in a way in which we never thought it would do over that period of time. So I think it's fascinating that this is happening in the motor market um, given the sort of competitive pricing nature. From my point of view, uh, I think uh, what Sophie said was was interesting in terms of the uptake because it's obviously a very clever distribution deal tying in with the manufacturer from an embedded point of view. But I think the underwriting proposition would be difficult um, because effectively the customer journey, are people really going to bother on their renewal date logging into Ford's website or going to their car to do the renewal? Or are they actually going to bother um, continuing to go to GoCompare, Confuse.com or Compare the Market? And I just think um, apathy is probably going to be the hardest person to compete with. Mm. And um, whilst I think it's a great deal for Buy Mars, and I think it's really nice to see innovation in this area, I do. Uh, I think the the customer journey and the consumer buying behaviour will take a little longer to adapt. Um, but you know, this is a sort of deal. I think in three years' time, five years' time, will be really, really solid. And once they work through how to capture that consumer interest, it will be be very, very interesting to see what happens. But yeah, it's uh, it's not a bad thing for the industry, and it's not a bad thing for embedded insurance. And I, I think the complexities of doing that for motor make it um, even more of an interesting deal um, because of the regulatory side. It, it is hard. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's I think it's a great you know. However, this partnership works out, and we can all agree that this is we're quite at the beginning of this journey. It's a great step, and it's a great sign, particularly to see brands as large as Ford, which are you know Tesla is one thing, but. Tesla owners are a very specific type of person. Ford owners tend to be a much broader demographic. So it's sort of bringing that accessibility, I think, to, to, to more people. Um, Nigel, closing thoughts. What, what, what are your, what's your opinion on this one? I think I, I, I agree with Danish and Chris. It's just, it's, it is really interesting. The, the couple of things that pop out to me, and I, I won't go into the whole embedded debate. We'll be here hours. Danish described the, the three phases of insurance. Perhaps the fourth phase of insurance is no insurance, if I can summarise it as that one. The other word that stung or, or struck a chord with me here is buy miles would be the first insurance provider. So I love the fact that they've chosen an insure tech first because we're agile, we're quick, we move its pace uh, and we can get going. So it's really, really good. But by indicating it's the first one, it means actually they're going to open it up to a panel, which would then indicate to Chris's point about embedded or to the fourth version of this, actually, you know, 
uh, if it's invisible going forward, then frankly, we don't really care who's going to write it because it's going to be included in that journey going going forward. Chris, do you want to make the final point on this before we move on to the next one then? Sorry, yeah, I, was, I just think the um, the interesting side is with the changes in kind of captive rules, and I think Gibraltar is getting to the stage where um, captives might be able to sell to um, consumers directly rather than just taking the company's risk. The thing I'd be fascinated in is whether Ford are using this as a learning period to then slot the good risks into their own captive, and therefore we end up in the same kind of competitive scenario that we've been in for a while, but just with different actors. Um, so I think what Nigel was saying was there is is where I would ultimately see Ford's mindset going. And therefore, uh, you know, I, I think the next three years will be amazing to see how that works. And of course, that's what we've seen Tesla do, underwrite its own policies as well, or, or attempt to. I mean, Elon Musk seems to be underwriting, underwriting everything, as far as I can tell. But uh, one of them is certainly that his company is underwriting car insurance. <laughs> um, all right, we're going to move on to the next story now. Um, and that is that Prince Charles has teamed up with the UK's largest insurers. So the chief executives from the UK's largest insurers have joined forces with the Prince of Wales to launch a sector-wide task force aimed at tackling the climate crisis. So the Sustainable Market Initiative Insurance Task Force, okay, first thoughts, that needs to be shortened, comprising bosses from 17 firms, including Legal and General, Allianz, Hiscox and AXA, has pledged to support the transition to a less carbon-intensive economy by expanding insurance coverage for projects such as offshore wind farms. They will also partner with governments to provide better disaster protection cover in countries facing serious risks from extreme weather uh, caused by global warming um, and and similar. Bruce Carnegie-Brown, chairman of Lloyds of London, said many companies have already started offering more climate-friendly insurance policies but had failed to coordinate across the sector. He warned that if the insurance industry did not act quickly, it would be forced to take drastic action to help meet global targets for net zero carbon emissions by 2050, which could mean pulling cover for carbon intensive companies that fail to transition to more sustainable business models. US and European insurers, which are the second largest group of institutional investors after pension funds with approximately $30 trillion or £21.5 trillion in assets, have invested close to $600 billion in fossil fuels, according to the Unfriend Coal campaign. Okay, this is an interesting one. Um, I think my first question is going to be, probably not to Danish, which might be a little unfair, how important is Prince Charles's involvement in this? <laughs> or do you think it's important to have somebody who's essentially a celebrity leading, you know, leading a campaign like this? Do you think that that's useful? Or do you think it's perhaps somewhat distracting from, from the aim? And, you know, do you think you, you need sort of a figurehead like that for people to, for companies to rally around and want to get involved with? I don't know. I will, who wants to pick up on that? Who has thoughts about Prince Charles, I suppose? Relevant to this, not just general thoughts on Prince Charles. I'll start and say, I think it's outstanding because anyone, whether you are a royalist or not, I think he's been passionate about the environment for decades and has been a true proponent of climate change and so much more that I said, you want to call him a celebrity, but a figurehead like Prince Charles bringing the industry together. And in this instance, such, such an important industry at the forefront of actually, whether it's investment or um, changing what risks we underwrite, making it easier or more difficult, has the opportunity to tackle the problem at source. So I think the combination of the CEOs that are involved, the figurehead in Prince Charles, that's someone that's truly passionate about it, so way more than a figurehead, has the opportunity to start making serious change. And on top of that, I will say it was lovely to see the speech last week in the Lloyd's room with people there. And it was almost like a, 
ah, we're starting to get back to normality. So it was nice to see it all happen uh, in person. Not that I was there, but I was watching it on, uh, online. <laughs> Sophie, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I was, I was just going to agree. And to your point around, like, if you saw a headline that said the Sustainable Market Initiative Insurance Task Force, <laughs> and and I, I don't think that would get that much press pick up surprisingly and so i think you know i'm more i'm more likely to have a discussion with people who maybe aren't as familiar with insurance because you've got you know you've got climate change insurance and prince charles and so if two of those can appeal to people that maybe are less interested in insurance then you can kind of start a conversation about it but i think the actual underlying philosophy let's you know let's see i didn't see anything about metrics or kpis or or what the commitments are but the actual the huge impact that insurance can have on climate change, I think it's sometimes overlooked. And and the examples given there are such, you know, tangible examples of of how this industry can make a big difference. And I think there is there's the um sort of side which is the protection, like we're there when things go wrong. But I think there is also some interesting things around the we're there and maybe can help prevent some things. Um, we're invested in a company called Kettle Re out of San Francisco that does is a wildfire risk reinsurance company. And they have an a, a incredibly complicated model that predicts wildfire risk. And so while they work with you know insurers to reinsure their book, they also offer their models free to fire agencies, to governments to better plan, to, to kind of mitigate some of this risk. So I think we should also focus on the mitigation as well as the protection side. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, one of the greatest trends in insurance right now is that uh, move towards proactivity. You know, I want I want protection, not compensation. And whether that's me personally or whether that's the environment generally, the trend applies. Uh, Danish, you know, what are your thoughts on maybe the um, efficacy of task forces like this? Do you think that this is the way, not this one in particular, I'm not putting you on the spot, but generally speaking, if, if we're trying to make such huge changes and such huge shifts, do you think you need something like this to get things Things moving, or do you think that the industry perhaps is sometimes better off left to do things under its own steam? What are your opinions on that? I think um, what's challenging about climate change—it's really important, but often not seen as urgent. I think I think the urgency view is changing these days, but and as a result, uh, that drops down in the priority list because you've got COVID and all kinds of other things that tend to go up uh, the priority stack. So what's great about this, including the representation of Prince Charles, it brings a lot of attention, it brings discussion, and maybe it ties together all of the other sources of pressures on companies to make climate change a priority. So you've got the Norway Sovereign Wealth Fund that's providing pressure, you've got customers providing pressure. I think task forces in general of of this size don't uh, just deliver results, but the, the continued focus hopefully keeps the insurance companies moving forward and and maintaining this at least in the top priority list. So we make progress over time. Yeah, no, absolutely. You, you can't you can't say it hasn't made news when this is actually an article that's come from the Guardian, which is not a small insurance newspaper here in the UK. It's a huge, you know, huge paper with an international following. So you know, it's it's already succeeding in that sense. To, to Sophie's point as well, Chris, did you, did you want to comment on this? I mean, I think you know we we've talked a lot about how climate change and 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 movement towards awareness of it and making an impact on how we can reduce climate change is, is super important. But you know, do you, what what are your thoughts on the role the insurance industry has to play perhaps Um, and indeed if you have any thoughts on Prince Charles please feel free to share them. I have very warm and positive feelings towards Prince Charles but I think the um, I think the interesting thing from the article point of view was that it was talking about the impact that 
insurance could have on providing protection and cover in the event that circumstances happen. I think that's obviously really important and, and beneficial for the people who need that. But actually, I think probably the strongest impact that the insurance industry can have, aside from their investment policies and amending those, which I think um, is obviously a trend that's happening with ESG, I think the strongest thing they can do is by making things uninsurable and by effectively not providing the cover. And I think that was the bit that was excluded, but actually is the bit that's going to have the far greater consequence for the market. And I think um, if people were to take that action collectively, we've seen with the hard market now exactly what that can do to businesses and industries. I think that's where you're going to see a real movement. And Lloyd's obviously is at the forefront of ensuring some of these industries that that do have a big impact on climate. And I thought that was um, the stuff that was unsaid in the article that would actually have um, a big impact in a very short space of time. Yes, Carnegie Brown was sort of hinting at it with a sort of a sort of a, a, a subtle stick, wasn't he, by saying, you know, if you don't if you don't get a move on, we're going to have to start pulling cover, or companies are. But I think to your point, there is a lot more things could be put home a lot more clearly, simply, and perhaps you know, uh, forcefully <laughs> in in that line of in that line of thinking. I would have thought group risk managers are going to be more excited about this than the general public because it'll have the biggest impact on them. Absolutely. All right, brilliant. We're going to leave that bare and we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back very soon. Hey folks, over here at 11FS, we're still working hard to build the next generation of financial services and our team is growing quickly. So we're looking for a bunch of new 11s to join us. If you or someone you know is up for a new challenge and a bit of a fintech nerd like us, check out the roles in consulting across product, engineering, design, delivery, and strategy. You'll find all the details at 11fs.com forward slash careers. All right, welcome back. Let's get on with the news and over to you, Nigel. Thank you very much. So first up, we have another Lloyds of London story in that it takes out a £650 million cover to protect the emergency fund. Insurance market Lloyds of London has taken out a £650 million cover to protect its backup central fund against possible high-risk events that could cause losses. I wonder if that's got anything to do with what's recently gone on. Uh, The central fund at Lloyds is a $3 billion backstop funded by its underwriting members to protect the market at times of stress. The five-year cover is financed by JP Morgan, as well as other reinsurers including Berkshire Hathaway and Swiss Re. The arrangement will provide aggregate insurance protection to Lloyd's central fund from an attachment point of up to $1.25 billion. The cover also has a lower cost of capital and should help the company to underwrite more business going forward. Again, another point to show how critical I think that uh, Lloyd's of London is and continues to be for the market. But by bringing together industry giants like Berkshire Hathaway, Swiss Re and JP Morgan just shows the sheer scale and capability that we have here in the city. Where, where do we start on this? Um, Sophie, can I head to you given the, the funding side of this? Yeah, I mean... I think it's um, it's obviously a very positive thing that they're thinking about this and that they've got this in place and they're working with you know huge backable players. I think this is is you know it's pretty standard practice. I wouldn't sort of I'm not going to comment on the 600 million. It's really hard to know just because of these you know unexpected events. How do you quantify them anymore? Because there are a lot there are the velocity and the quantum is 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 more than you know historically, and it's it's it, the volatility of it is is a lot you know a lot more than it used to be. But I think you know from a a business from a consumer's point of view, it's it's good to know that this is this is happening and that the 
that they're thinking about this before before things go wrong. Yeah, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Uh, Dennis, you're nodding away over here with lots of hair. So go on, give us a <laughs> give us your take. Lots of hair for now. Um, this fits. I agree with Sophie. This makes a lot of sense, and it fits with what I've been seeing in Lloyd's over the last 24 months. It's a push to reduce expenses, and I feel that as a broker, there's pressure on our commissions. There's push to increase profitability as they're shutting down certain syndicates that are underperforming. And now they're managing the capital side of it. And there's two things in particular that were interesting for me in the way they structured this deal. First, the quantum, the 650 million. According to the Financial Times, the central fund has never had an aggregate annual loss of more than 600 million. So they've gone just above that to really look out for those um, the black swan events, and, and and I agree with you, Nigel, maybe it has something to do with what's going on these days. But it's truly those really wild off events that they're looking to ensure. And then second, it's a two-tier fundraise. The first 450 by JP Morgan, outside of the industry, it makes sense. The next 200 is from insiders, and some of them are participants in the Lloyd's market. And, I, and I'm sure Aon, the broker, has done their diligence, but this just reminds me of the or was it the LMX spiral from the late 80s where the same syndicates were insuring and reinsuring the same risk multiple times without knowing it? So it was just a bit odd. They, they got the, the last 200 from inside the market. I'm not qualified to answer it, but I was curious as to why JPM went first, not the insurers. And it was in that order rather than uh, the insurers first and then backed up by JP Morgan. Um, but I guess to your, to your point, it, it truly is about, there's no point or covering each other's risks and then getting stuck at the end of the day. So um, I wonder, Chris, if you uh, is the size of the fund the thing that matters here, just being tipped over uh, previous maximum exposure, or is it the ease at which we could actually get access to this going forward? And again, maybe it's it's it, it's not one for us, but I'm just curious, given obviously coming out of a pandemic now, you look at the World Economic Forum top 10 risks, cyber's on there, we see so much out there that's going on. Are, are we just trying to get ahead of those next nine? I think, um, firstly, I, I think partly um, JP Morgan have probably got some cash now. They're not uh, funding the European Super League. So um, maybe that's why they've gone first. But um, secondly, I think from um, from the article, my sort of thought with Lloyds is that maybe this isn't sort of uh, preparing for a, a negative eventuality, but actually it's more about allowing themselves to take advantage of a hardening market. And I think in that sort of scenario, there's a lot of well-performing syndicates that are looking to expand their line sizes and um, expand. And I think if that's what the market's looking to do, it seems eminently sensible. You've seen so many capital raises for new insurers or reinsurance vehicles to take advantage of it. It's sensible for lawyers to do something similar. So to my mind, it's it's not protecting against an eventuality that's going to be negative. Um, it's more about releasing their balance sheets and um, taking advantage of low capital costs at the moment to um, go into a hardening market. And I think you know, market participants will like it. So um, that's my, my personal point of view. I would have thought the the size um, just shows that people still have a lot of value in the Lloyds franchise, because to some extent, Lloyds, I think, is almost the original fintech I was actually just going to ask Sarah this. I often, we're obviously very passionate about London and, and its proximity to us here and everything else, but is this an attempt at making London more competitive than writing in, say, Asia or the US? Sarah, have you got a perspective on on, on what they're up to? 
Oh, not not a particularly informed perspective. I think Lloyd's is aware of its need to to keep up with, particularly given what's happening. And you know, as you mentioned in in Asia, especially, you know, I think there there are signs that that Lloyd's is kind of. Um, you know, aware a of its its reputation, which it has as being you know the oldest market in the world and having you know, this huge institute of great standing, has has stood it really well thus far. But it's that that is sort of starting to tarnish a little bit, particularly when you think about some of the accusations about ways of working or indeed culture that have come out about it. Um, and at the same time, you're seeing kind of the emergence of of, of almost you know of a very very competitive options um, emerging elsewhere. So I think, you know, I wouldn't, I don't know if this is part of that greater strategy or if it's inspired by, as Chris said, there's lots of money sloshing around up there. And if you can get your hands on some, why not? Or, you know, oh my goodness, this is only the first pandemic. I suspect it's probably inspired by all three. And I think from that perspective, there's this very little to, to look at at this and think, oh, that was a bad decision <laughs> yet. I mean, I may yet be proven wrong, but I think, you know, from, from from all those perspectives added together, it seems like it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And look, I, I I want it to be successful. And I think the industry needs Lloyds of London to be at the very centre of everything that we do and, and, and continue to be so for, for many years to come. So I think for the market as a whole, it, it's a good thing. Let me move on to our next story. And again, on the theme of the pandemic, this is Hiscock Settles its business interruption claims. Uh, and we've talked about this quite a lot on the show over the last couple of months. Uh, Lloyds of London insurer Hiscox has today revealed it has agreed an arbitration settlement with the Hiscox Action Group over business interruption losses precipitated by the government's lockdown last year. Hiscox was one of the six of the world's largest commercial insurers involved with the test case, where insurers argued that the many BI policies did not cover widespread disruption during government efforts to curb COVID-19. The insurers lost the case. As the British High Court said, policyholders had a right to payouts from insurers. Hiscox have said that the settlement between Hiscox and the Hiscox Action Group of policyholders was in line with the Supreme Court judgment and the proceedings have now been resolved to the mutual satisfaction of all parties. The FCA said earlier this month that 757 million in interim or final payments had been issued by insurers to policyholders so far. I mean, this is a, I'm pleased to see the end of it, or is it? It's a huge amount of money that's been paid out. I remember discussing with Sarah many moons back, the ABI were expecting billions to be paid out. Uh, it's interesting that this is now closed and out of the, I'm gonna say out of the way, out of the way as we emerge or slowly unlock from lockdown, going back into normality, hopefully in the UK on July 19th, uh, for all those are uh, watching. Where do we start? Sarah, we, we spoke about this. Let's start with you, Sarah, if you don't mind. Is this the end of the BI saga, do you think? <laughs> um, God, that makes it sound like a sound like a you know long-running Netflix series that we've all been hooked on. <laughs> Actually, to be fair, most of us insurance nerds have. I don't know is the answer to that. I don't know if it may be the end of this, you know, is this particular chapter is closed, but the success the fact that the, the the people who brought the case have succeeded is an interesting precedent to have set. Um, and I wonder if we might see other instances, not necessarily in, in BI, but across the board in, in, in insurance, where people are, are you know more tenacious and perhaps more willing to, to, to bring, bring cases against insurers and groups of insurers who they feel have acted unfairly. So I wonder if that, you know, that, that, that could happen in future, that could be a precedent that's now set. But I think also, and largest insurers will, if they've got any sense, be looking at this and thinking, hmm, how do we prevent this happening again? 
where do we have to own up, take accountability and say, we messed up on this occasion? And even if they don't believe they've messed up, they have to look at what the judgment has said and say, well, that could be, where else could that be applied to us? Where else could somebody say that to us in future that we might lose out negatively? So um, yes, I think end of the chapter, but probably probably an interesting, maybe an interesting trend to be watching. And I think, um, you know, interesting to see what, if any, action large insurers take and particularly what they may take publicly, whether we're going to see a slew of, you know, press releases talking about making coverage more personalized, more friendly to, you know, or, or even talking about things like explaining terms and conditions more clearly. Are we going to see more people going down the route of going, we've rewritten all our policy documents so they have the reading age of a seven-year-old, um, which is, you know, something that's, that's come up a few times. So I, I think it's probably going to have some impact. I hope it's positive impact on customers. Um, and that will eventually, of course, be a positive impact on the insurers themselves. Because if you've got happier customers, it's going to be better for you and your business is probably going to be more efficient. Very interesting. Danish, I'm going to come to you because I'm I'm not sure I agree fully with you, Sarah, in that it'd be better for customers. I suspect, like we did post-SARS, many of the terms and conditions might be tightened up. And as a net result, the cost of specific covers might go off. But Danish, what are you seeing in the market as a result of this? I would just say, I said I was hopeful. <laughs> I was hopeful it would happen. <laughs> I didn't say it would happen. Sorry, Danish. Please go ahead. Yeah, no problem. I, I definitely see there, there's two things that I foresee coming from here. One is tightening of uh, coverages, uh, increasing of rates, uh, which we already see. But then more longer term, as insurance companies step back and say, what can we learn from this? What do we need to do with our wording so that we don't get caught like this again? And I think it will actually hit the opposite trend uh, of more complex wordings, more definitions, policy documents may get longer because when uh, there's a recent case in Canada and the, the document didn't properly define construction versus renovation and the court sided with the policyholder saying the insurance company did not do a good enough job of defining the difference between the two. And typically courts will side with the party that didn't draft the contract if there's ambiguity. So I think insurers are going to spend a lot more time trying to tie off any possible loose ends and documents may double in size. Really interesting. And doesn't at all answer Sarah's question about it might be available for seven-year-olds, but it's now going to be almost Lord of the Rings chapter one, two, and three. So you might get your Netflix, Netflix series soon. Sophie, to you, in terms of the financials of this, given that we've paid out you know, just under a billion, it feels like, in, in payments, what does this do in terms of opportunity for new startups that are out there? Are you seeing anyone enter the market as a net result of COVID's come out, we've, we've missed the point on the traditional insurer, uh, we've got an opportunity to do X as a result. Have you seen anything in the portfolio come to life as a result of this? So kind of not directly because of this sort of the fallout of the pandemic, but I think it's it's more a general sort of shift of um, not feeling completely satisfied with the uh, providers that you've been through before. And, and this kind of uh, what uh, a lot of startups call sort of disgruntled switches. So people kind of looking for something that's that's new. Um, I think one of the, the more interesting trends that we're seeing around the pandemic is actually kind of the emergence of digitally native um, SMEs. And these guys don't want to go with the old insurers when they're starting up their businesses. And so kind of a combination of new companies coming in that want to go with digitally native, almost like startups, means that the, they're seeking that sort of um, SME insurance 
um, providers or um, those sort of kind of risk mitigation platforms. So I think we're, we're not going to see it now because it's very, very early. But I think in a couple of years, as these companies that are just starting now grow, that's going to really help these digitally native insurance providers grow alongside their customer base, which I think will be really exciting to to watch. Yeah, that, that, that is interesting. The one other area I have seen a lot of is enabling technology to analyze what we have today, whether it's policy wording or looking for uh, denial of access or contagious diseases and that sort of stuff to work out how they were. And, you know, to Danish's point, if you've got 15,000 pages of contracts to surf through, in many cases, people just don't read them. They're not, they're not there. So how do you actually get to the specifics of, of what's in and what's out? Um, Chris, to, to Safi's last point on digital natives, wh- where are you seeing technology, I guess, as a as an enabler for all this? Have you seen the, the growth in demand for new platforms or new capability just to go launch or remove some of those barriers? It's really interesting. We're sort of seeing a polarization of the distribution side on, on um, commercial insurance. So you can see people who are offering a, a cheap and cheerful um, simple policy which covers off the majority of risks but is easy to distribute and um, is almost done on an execution-only basis um, to um, smaller businesses. And then on the other side, you can see the um, trend towards much larger, much longer coverages with a more advised sale, where actually technology isn't being used to do mass distribution and sort of trying to ape a kind of personal lines consumer journey. We're seeing it more in terms of Actually, we want the technology to reduce the cost so that we can put people in front of the clients and explain and train what this policy covers. So I think what we're, we're going to see is a difference in distribution methods and commercial line brokers will, will take a, a different route um, according to which sort of camp they feel in. And I think what we've seen with the latter sort of type of broker is where they have really succeeded is their businesses um insurance-based, but is usually focused around something that's related to an industry or a specialism and where it's been embedded within risk management. Um, So there is a kind of reason and a rationale for um, them to be able to approach people in that industry. Um, And that, I think, is a a much more interesting prospect longer term because actually it's going to mitigate the event before it happens. But the wording that you'll then find at the end, I think, will be much more comprehensive and the person who's bought it will be much more clued up on it. So... um, that's sort of where we sit. I was going to wrap, but actually your point at the very end is really interesting. And again, one that Sarah and I have debated tirelessly, and that's much more clued up about it. I personally feel that the pandemic has made us all look at these sorts of things, whether it's individuals looking at life insurance or or wills or commercial contracts, now looking at what they're actually covered for and what they're not covered for. Do you think the industry is going to learn from that? I guess open question to the, to the team here. Do you think the industry is going to learn from this event to get some of these things tightened up, number one, but number two, educate the people on what they're buying and what they're not buying? Or does that just really mean we've got better brokers going forward? I think there'll be a lot of brokers who are walking, who are very happy that the um, Hiscox Action Group have been paid out and thinking that they're, but for the grace of God, go I. Um, and so I think there'll be a lot of tightening up of their wordings with their customers. And so that the scope of the advice that you're actually getting is going to be reduced, because why would you take on that huge existential risk to your business? Uh, for a limited margin uplift. You just can't see that um, being sustainable as a business model. But I think ultimately you are going to get much better embedding of risk management uh, within companies that could be driven by brokers. I don't think it will be driven um, necessarily as a fait accompli. I think you you could find accountancy firms could equally offer 
um, that sort of service and then embed the insurance or other people who have that relationship with the uh, the companies in question. Well, I'm sure we could have this debate for hours. I'm going to wrap it up there and hand it back to Sarah. Thank you very much. All right, we're going to move on now as we are getting towards the end of the show. Um, we're just going to round up a couple of stories in the week that we didn't have time to cover. Nigel, do you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. No, the first one we've got is um, Zurich's revealed its latest ethnicity pay gap. Uh, it's pu- Zurich UK, this is, has published its eth- ethnicity pay gap data done in 2021, which revealed a 10.2% difference in average hourly pay. This year's pay gap is slightly higher than last year's at 9.8%, which Zurich attributed to staff turnover. Zurich's bonus gap stood at 37%, up from 19.6% in 2020. And the increase was driven by the fact that there are fewer black and ethnic minority employees in senior roles. Zurich has announced its goal to have a minimum of 10% ethnic minority representation by the end of 2023, and each of its business areas will have its own target, which contributes towards the overall total. Um, look, I, I think for, for me, this is, you know, all organisations are doing a great job now are starting to publish the data, and what we can start to inspect, we can start to then uh, make decisions and start to change on. Clearly, these are going both in the wrong direction, without doubt, from the 19.6 to 37 and from the 9.8 to 10.2. So I think it's disappointing. I've read a number of reports from uh, from folks around the industry and many have blamed the pandemic and, and others. But I think we can't allow ourselves to, I don't want to say it's be the easy excuse, but we can't allow ourselves to go back to, hey, that was the thing that caused it this year. It might well have been. I think we have to start managing these things over you know, one, two, three years and look at the, the, the trend over a period of time. So I'll be keen to see what, what next year's looks like. But I do feel the industry has made a dramatic turn, even the last couple of years, to be fair. So it, at least in the groups I communicate and engage with, it, this, I was surprised to see this. I thought we'd done a better job. And that's not, that's not me being negative on Zurich. I just thought we were doing better from what the, the groups and community that I've been engaging on. I think perhaps we're doing better on awareness. I think perhaps uh, awareness leads and hopefully action action follows. All right, our next story today is that Chubb unveils pay-as-you-roam travel insurance. So Chubb has announced the development of the PayAYR proposition. The service uses digital technology to simplify the way customers access and purchase travel insurance. It uses mobile phone roaming data to identify when customers are outside of their home country, which activates coverage automatically at a daily premium. Customers have four hours from receipt of the message to either decline coverage or confirm who needs to be included for cover if they had not purchase cover prior to travel. To use the service, customers must register through Chubb's core app, where they can also add the names of any other travellers they'd like included on the policy. This isn't the first time we've seen this. There's quite a few uh, of the smaller players who are launching similar services. The, probably the, the most well-known one, certainly in the UK, is Revolut, uh, which offers a similar service. Um, to be honest with you, I'm just I just would dream of the idea of ever being able to get on a plane again. It sounds right now a very far-fetched proposition to me. Um, but uh, but but I think you know the, the the plus point, as we've said before, and we've even touched on 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 this podcast, is on the plus side when you talk about things like this embedded insurance. Perhaps you do get more people who are covered. You get you know greater greater coverage across 
across greater demographics. On the downside, how do you know if this is the right cover for you? You know, is it going to be appropriate to your own circumstances? How is Chubb gathering the data? How do they know enough about you to give you the right policy? And is it, you know, at the end of the day, is it the cheapest way to do it? Or actually, are you paying a premium for this service? In which case, you know, that's not necessarily the best thing for the customers. Um, So positives and negatives, but I think going in the right direction, if what it does is improve coverage, particularly as so many people, as we've mentioned on this podcast before, are suddenly aware of the need for travel insurance, because uh, plans can change very suddenly and not necessarily um, at the fault of the traveler in question. Okay, our and finally story today. So if anybody's forgotten about ice cream, I hope that you um, have are close to your freezer at this point. Um, so this is that Breyers is offering cookie coverage to those unhappy with the ice cream's cookie to cream ratio. So just in time for National Insurance Awareness Day, ice cream maker Breyers will be offering cookie coverage to customers. The insurance policy is a celebration of Breyers' revamped cookie and cream frozen dairy dessert recipe, which has 20% more cookie pieces in every container. From the 28th of June until the 21st of July, fans, it says fans here, can sign up for cookie coverage on the company's website, where they'll receive both an instant 50% off their next tub of Breyers cookie and cream and an official insurance certificate that provides protection on their tub's cookie and cream goodness. If not completely satisfied with the ice cream, fans can get coverage to try another Breyers flavour for free. Claims can be filed until the 31st of August, and the spokes animal for the campaign is the insurance agent Cookie the Cow, who is in fact a real cow. I have no idea where this ice cream company is based. I'm going to guess at the States. And then my question is, cows can be licensed insurance agents in the States? And and that's where my brain went straight to. You know, it's if, if it gets more people aware of insurance generally, great. Um, I, you know, I have probably no other thoughts beyond that at this point. Um, does anybody else have strong feelings? Has everybody gone to the freezer right now to get their own ice cream? I will tell you as a father of young kids that if they are given something that has X, let's assume I'm giving my daughter peanut M&M's and it's got no peanut, I get a complaint. If my son has more blue ones than green ones and she's got less green ones than blue ones, I get a complaint. I love this. A, I just love ice cream, period. It's my weak spot, period. But we've seen this before. We've seen crazy ideas like this before. We've seen pizza insurance to make sure it comes to the house hot and whatever else. It's a bit of fun and games. It's a great, I'm going to call it a PR stunt, but frankly, it's great fun. And actually, it doesn't expire till my birthday on the 31st of August. So I might make a claim. <laughs> I agree with Nigel. I think it's a nice PR stunt. Budweiser in Canada uh, announced beer insurance recently. Whole Foods had turkey insurance last year. I think it just shows the the human side of insurance uh, where where often people do not see that. Chris, Sophie, any thoughts? I hope they have a good udder writer. (laughs) Sophie, that's it. You're banned. You're absolutely banned. I'm making an executive decision. Have you been too much time spent with Nigel? I'm sorry. Chris, would you like to give us the final word? If it's a pun, I'll ban you as well. (laughs) I really like it. I think it's very funny, but... um... I also can't believe that you've had to go and get an insurance contract issued with all the terms and conditions. So um, it'd be fascinating to see. But yeah, this sort of um, marketing, we used to do a um, an extended warranty where effectively if you brought back your um, policyholder documents in pristine condition at the end of 10 years, you got the um, cost of the uh, white goods for free. You got all your purchase price paid. And we did it in England, didn't lose any money. It was very profitable. 
did it in Scandinavia, and loads of people turned up with pristine documents 10 years later, and you realize the difference in national psyche. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it reminded me of that. All right. Well, we're all off to buy some ice cream. Um, that wraps up the news for today. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Danish, would you like to share a Twitter, a LinkedIn, a website? Sure. I'm uh, quite active on LinkedIn. That's the, the best way to find me. And also at zensurance.com. Perfect. Chris, how about you? I'm also quite active on LinkedIn. My email address is chrisk at stubbornedge.com. Uh, we're relaunching our website early next month because there's nothing as permanent as a temporary website. So hopefully that'll tell you a little bit more about what we do. Brilliant. Sophie, how about you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Sophie Winwards and find out more about Anthemus at anthemus.com. And Nigel, other than the ice cream aisle of Waitrose, where can you be found? You beat me to it. I was going to say I was going to be in the ice cream aisle. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> you will find me being quite shy and reserved on Twitter at Nigel Walsh. <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter at Sarah Kajanski. Thank you so much to all of my guests today. And thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard, do subscribe to the podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It helps to make it better and it helps others to find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, you can find us on social media to search for 11FS or InsureTech Insider. You can find us on Twitter at InsureTech Insiders or you can email podcasts at 11FS.com. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>